Thank you for the welcome. It's good to be back. And this is the final in our series of core values of the vineyard. It's been a fascinating series, hasn't it? We've just met so many of our, our wonderful leaders here, Denise and Mark and Richard, sharing different aspects of the building blocks of what we believe here at the vineyard. And today, it's my joy to speak about worship. We've just had this amazing worship time where we are immersed with absolute love from God reaching us and our response of falling in love with him. It's been a precious time of worship already, but that's just warming us up. So are you ready? We're going to plunge right in because it's so much to cover, and this is one of the most exciting things I think I've ever done. Worship is a towering theme throughout the whole of Scripture. Right from the beginning, right until the end, there's almost this culmination of the climax when the ages come to an end and we read in the book of Revelation and you can almost start to tremble when you think that the consummation of the age will be coming and we will all be lost in worship. So this is our time to start getting ready and start warming up those muscles. Let's turn to John 4, verses 23 and 24. And this is where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. It's such a familiar story. Most of us know it. It's the middle of the day. She's come to get water. Already you know something's different. And here's Jesus, a Jew, speaking to a Samaritan. Well, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't ever speak, but for a man to speak to a woman, for the woman to be there in the middle of the day getting water, the whole thing is a bit remarkable. But they get to talk about worship. And listen to what he says. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Wow, that's amazing. She was concerned because she had been taught that the only place where God's spirit and God dwelt was in the temple in Jerusalem, nowhere else. And as a Samaritan, she would never have access to get near or even into the temple. So she felt almost condemned and banished from God before she started. And Jesus reassures her, it's not where you worship, but it's how you worship. Then he says these amazing things, God is spirit. Now, she would have been familiar with carrying her idols, her gods, wherever she went. So the concept of a God who is omnipresent, who is invisible yet infinite, who seeks worshipers in a relationship is absolutely astounding. You see, we get so caught up, don't we, with locality, formality, ritual, and Jesus cuts to the core. It's not about where, but it's about how. And if you truly worship, genuinely, honestly worship, it's in spirit and in truth. Some people come to church because they think there's more of God in this place, rather like she did. God is in the temple in Jerusalem. What he is in this place, woo! And when we meet together and we worship together, there is an 
extraordinary sense of his presence here. But what Jesus came to show us was that if we truly believe in him and open ourselves to him, receive him into our lives so that he can clean away all the clutter of what separates us from us from our holy God, believing in he died on the cross, we are renewed in our spirit and we can have that spirit communication with the living God. That's where it starts in spirit <clears throat> and in truth. And this is the life that Jesus promised. Open yourself, receive him, experience him, and then you can start in this life of worship. And it is a life of worship. Well, there are many different definitions about worship, but I love the one that Webster's Dictionary. Now, Webster put the dictionary together in 1828. That's a jolly long time ago. But there are not any definitions of worship that come anywhere close to that. Let's have a look at what he said. Worship is to honor with extravagant love. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? To honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And do you know why that is? When we grasp who God is and that he loves us, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been. His love is unconditional. When we understand that and grasp that, our immediate response is to honor. And it is extravagant love. <laughs> and it is extreme submission. We want to bow down. We want to come low. And just with hearts of gratitude, say thank you. We are lost in awe, in wonder, in amazement at this amazing God. So once we grasp that, we can start to worship. And we can worship driving in our car, as Richard was saying. <laughs> I often do that. I don't even feel embarrassed anymore if people look at me because I'm having such a good time. <laughs> we can worship in the shower. We can worship anywhere, walking the dogs, pushing the children on the swing. Isn't it wonderful? We can worship our God. He is the life giver. <laughs> we can enjoy him and worship the life that he's given us, abundance because of what Jesus has done. One of the most heightened experiences, and that is a bit of a pun, of my worship was when I climbed Kilimanjaro. It was five hours to six hours every day, some days seven hours, of five days up this big mountain. We started in the um, rainforest up to our knees in mud. We was going and then we went. But you know what? You go pole, pole, slowly, slowly. You can't rush. But I just got into the rhythm of singing worship songs. Thine be the glory. And I don't have a voice. Risen, conquering king. And I was thinking, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Earth is filled with your glory. And I just found the days went, the hours went. And before I knew it, I was on top of the mountain. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? It really just gave a sense of energy in worship and being lost in wonder as we went up through the different vegetation panels and we got to the top. And I was honestly astounded when we got to the top and there was a sign, Uhuru, and it said, you have now reached the largest single standing rock in the world. I thought, well, Everest is part of a range and I thought of Psalm 40, verse 2. He's brought me through a miry pit, through the mud. 
but he's done that in my life. And he's put me on a rock. It just happened to be the biggest in the world. <laughs> and he's put a new song in my mouth, the psalmist says. And you know why that was significant? Because years before my sister had died tragically, then my husband and then my mother, I've shared that in three successive Septembers. And through the generous gift of somebody, I got this gift of being able to climb Kilimanjaro. And it was like a turning point in my life. And he has put a new song in my mouth. And it is a song of praise. <laughs> it's amazing. Some months later, from that elation of the mountaintop experience, I was in a darkened room with a dying man who was my father, my beloved dad. My son was with me, my young son, Jonathan, and Matron had called me to say, come quickly, he'd slipped into a coma. I'd flown from England and my plane landed at nine o'clock at night, and when I got to the frail care, she said, your dad is hanging in there. He knows you're coming. And he had slipped into this coma. He'd never opened his eyes again. But I sat next to his bed, held his hand, and Jonathan was with me three generations. And all I knew to do was to worship. I had led my dad to the Lord some years before, and I knew he loved Jesus. And I told my dad I loved him and that I was going to just spend the time worshipping. And so for the next hour, he, he was with me. He squeezed my hand just very faintly, and then he stopped squeezing. And I don't have the best voice most times, but this was a bit broken. But I just worshipped in spirit and in truth with extravagant love and extreme submission until he slipped away into glory. That was an extraordinary experience of worship. That whole room was a sacred place. And Jonathan and I sat there for some moments before we called the staff. I almost felt I wanted to take my shoes off. It was holy ground. So worship could be different places, different times, different seasons, but extravagant love, extreme submission in spirit and in truth. Um, this intense worship that we have here at the vineyard is actually what draws people to come so often. They come to these services and they just know something's different in our worship. There's a depth, there's a richness, there's, there's something happening. Some people describe it as paranormal. They don't quite know what it is. But God is in this place and it's, it's just the most beautiful thing. Worship is one of our highest priorities in the vineyard. It is what we do it's part of our way of life, part of our expression of worship to God. And it's not just the music, but I want to dwell on the music for a moment because that is one of the most beautiful times of, of the whole service for me when I worship leaders, and we just are blessed with such worship leaders, with Sam Lane and the teams. They are not superstars who are entertaining. They are humble. They have a brokenness. They have such a passion and a love for God. And they lead us in a very real and genuine way into the presence of the Lord. It's beautiful. And what is, is amazing, it's not just the slow songs, but it's all the songs because it's not about God, but it's to God. It's not a declaration. It's not a description. It's an intimate connection. And they lead us into that place. So... 
It is the music. But worship is the whole service. It doesn't end after the band goes and sits down. And it also isn't just for Sundays. Worship is a lifestyle that's with us all the way, how we conduct our lives. But you know, that's how the vineyard first started. Worn out leaders who'd really come to the end met together and started in their brokenness to seek God's face and to pray and to start singing. And they started to sing to him instead of about him. And the most extraordinary thing began to happen. They started experiencing his presence in a profound and very personal way. Their lives were changed. And intimate songs of worship started to come to the worship leaders in the vineyard. And in fact, our worship songs are almost like a hallmark of who we are. People started to sing it because it's a prayer language of worship. And worship is at the core of everything we do here at the vineyard. It is the foundation of people whose deepest identity, their strength, their joy, is in this worship of a beautiful God who loves us and who we just constantly fall in love with. And the most amazing things happen during worship. I'm sure you've experienced that. Not only is there this deep sense of God's presence, but so often that's when relationships are restored. That's when you start to think, I can forgive that person. That's when healing takes place. I have so often met up with people who say, I came in and I had this stiff, sore shoulder and I, for weeks not being able to move it. And as I started to worship and praise, no one's even laid hands on me, but I could start to lift my shoulders. And at the end, I was praising. And that healing takes place in worship because it's this intimate, beautiful connection one-on-one -on -one with a loving God. Worship. Worship is power. Worship is peace. Worship fills our hearts, fills our lives. And as a people who worship and together, we then go out into a desperate world and we can give his love because of the richness that we've tasted and seen in our worship. I love coming to the, the vineyard and worshiping God because there's always a sense of anticipation when we start to worship. We can abandon ourselves in adoration. Yes, you do get those who are peeping and looking around, and scratching their head and scratching their nose, and do all these things, and it's true, don't you? But I just urge you, don't let that be a distraction because sometimes you think, don't. Just focus, focus on him. <laughs> don't be a distraction to anyone, but don't be distracted by anyone. This is your time, your time of one-on-one, -on -one, of loving him and being loved by him. If you're needing healing, if you're needing encouragement, just lose yourself in worship. This is where it happens. It's not a, a declaration, it's not a description, it's you and Jesus. Jesus is our focus, and as we focus on him and worship him, we sense the presence of the Father. We feel the touch of the Holy Spirit, and we are led into deeper and deeper levels of understanding his love and experience his, his love in our lives. We become 
one with the one we worship. And we start to become like the one we worship. It's amazing. Psalm 51 is a psalm that speaks about brokenness. My sacrifice is a contrite heart, a spirit of brokenness. And I wanted to tell you about a very interesting man called John Newton, who lived in the 1770s, again an old timer, but there are a lot of us, I don't go back quite that far, but there's nothing wrong with being an old timer. But John Newton was quite a character. He was actually a slave trader, and he took the slaves from the west coast of Africa and took them across to America. And he was part of a teams of, of ships that went across the seas. And all of these young people that were in the prime from Africa were taken in chains and just stripped of all dignity and beaten and in the most horrific situations. I'm sure you've read some of the descriptions of these poor slaves, the depths of their suffering, and he would dump them the other end and come back. Well, the whole thing was very depraved. But the captain of the Greyhound, which was his particular ship, the captain wrote about this John Newton and said, of all the sailors he'd ever sailed with, John Newton had the worst profound mouth. He could swear worse than anyone else. He said, in fact, he invented words of verbal debauchery. That was the way he described him. John Newton got to Ireland, off the coast of Ireland, and there was a mighty storm one night. The ship was being tossed to and fro, and he thought he was going to die. He called out to God to have mercy on him. And you know, Chris, our pastor, always says, Lord, have mercy on me. That was the word. Those were the words that John Newton spoke. And in an amazing way, the Lord met him. And he started an adventure with the living God that absolutely astounded him and all of the people around him. And you know, a few more years this happened with this trade in slavery, but he just knew he couldn't do it. And he was offered the captaincy of the ship. He turned it down and he went to study the Bible. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He became an ordained curate and he led a church that grew to two and a half thousand people. And in those days, two and a half thousand people is a big church. And he had a thriving children's ministry. And one night when he was preparing the New Year's sermon in 1773, he wrote these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing that song. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I'm That is John Newton. Out of brokenness became the deepest worship. He wrote so many beautiful hymns of worship. Isn't God amazing? <laughs> Isn't, let's give him a hand. Isn't that just amazing? It's worshiping in spirit, worshiping in truth, with extravagant love and extreme submission. So let's look then at who we worship. God as creator. Remember when I spoke on the Holy Spirit, Genesis 1, 1, <clears throat> excuse me, the Father spoke, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Father spoke, the Spirit brooded on the water, and the Word of God was there, Jesus, it's all of them together working. And I love that because all of creation pulsates with his life. 
He's the maker, he's the sustainer, who began this and who's going to come at the consummation of the age. We worship God as creator. So maybe you've only worshipped him in one way. Start to see him in the creation and worship him as creator. God as king, we worship him, God as king. It's amazing, we, we've spoken, Mark spoke about God as, as the king, we have the kingdom of God coming, we are praying for the kingdom to come, but we know that it will come in its fullness at the end of the age, but we worship him as the creator and as the king. Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So he will be coming in the fullness of time and we worship him as our king. Denise spoke last week and it was so brilliant, wasn't it? And I love the way she said, we all have our own flavor. <laughs> we all have our own way of doing things and being, and we can worship in different ways. We have a unique way of worshiping each of us. I worship God in creation a lot, and I worship him as king a lot. And so often I do that when I'm in the kitchen sometimes, I just prostrate myself. I just have a sense of his awesome presence. But often when I'm in creation, when I'm walking in a field, so many times that I've been camping and I've been under the starry sky and to see the dazzling heavens, I just lie back, sometimes on my face, but sometimes I just lie back in wonder and worship the creator, the king. Have you ever stood under a waterfall? and worshipped. <laughs> That's one of my favorites, and Roger knows that. I just love when we come to waterfalls in the mountains. I always have my costume underneath, just stripped down, and I worship under a waterfall. It's just amazing. Um, there was this big storm the other night, wasn't there, with thunder rolling and lightning flashing. Worship him in the storm, the creator, <laughs> the king, the king of kings. But equally, we can worship him in the silence of a church where there's stained glass windows and incense because he is God. He is the Trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And We've talked about the Holy Spirit brooding on the waters in Genesis 1.1. We've spoken about the Word. So at creation, we also spoke about baptism when I spoke on the Holy Spirit. There was Jesus being baptized, identifying with us as sinners. He knew no sin. And the Holy Spirit came as a dove, and God's voice said, this is my beloved son. So the Trinity is there. Maybe it's a difficult concept for you to understand. As you get to know him more, he will reveal more and more how it works. And it's a beautiful Trinity. God is our savior. When we were talking earlier, people were mentioning that. God is our savior, and we worship him as savior. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. And this is why we just lose ourselves in worship, because he has rescued us. He has come and taken us out of that miry pit, 
and he's put our feet on a rock, and that rock is Jesus, and he's put a new song in our mouths. That's why we worship him as Savior. We worship because he first loved us. Would the band please come up? I'm going to just run through a summary. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And that's what I was saying. When we grasp who he is and what he's done, we just want to come down and worship him and fall in love with him and just lift our arms up to praise him. Sometimes we're lifting hands. Sometimes we are on our knees. Sometimes we are prostrate. But really, we are just coming face to face with the living God, Jesus Christ, who indwells us and has given us a new life in him. We worship him because he first loved us, and we just fall in love with him more and more. And as we do, he just frees us. Have you felt free to raise your hands? Have you felt free to sing out loud? <laughs> if you read the Psalms, maybe you have a bit of a battle about shouting with joy to the Lord, but read the Psalms. David was always shouting, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I love it when the whole band goes and the drums go and the guitars go. It's fascinating and it's wonderful because we can enter into the spirit of worship. Psalm 150 just says, let the Simming, the cymbals clang and the loud clashing cymbals and let everything that has breath. So whether you feel you can sing or not, just go for it. And have you danced? Have you danced before the Lord? Just loosen up. Kick your shoes off. And there's that little saying, dance like no one's watching. Well, guess what? He is watching. <laughs> he is. He's our God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Dance for him and to him. That's why we worship, because he first loved us. And how do we worship? This is a bit of an ouch. Romans 12, verses 1. Therefore, I urge you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, and I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That is extreme submission. Offer your bodies. This is holy and pleasing to God. A life that is surrendered to God. That's why we give our money, our resources. That's why we feed the poor, we visit the sick, we clothe those who are naked, we go to the prisons. It's a life surrendered. Worship is a lifestyle and our values in worship, and we can start to sing softly in the background. Our values as I close, intimacy. Intimacy, we've talked of that throughout this sermon. Be intimate with him, he is your father, your Abba. Jesus is your savior, your Lord. And Holy Spirit comes to teach us how to pray. He teaches us how to worship fully and freely. Intimacy. Just you and him together. Accessibility. <laughs> you can access him anywhere, anytime, anyhow. It's beautiful. Get to know these songs. Get to sing them as you're walking in the way. They're simple. They're based on scripture. 
They're focused on Jesus. They're pure, they're good, they're life-giving. Have integrity in your worship. Keep to the Bible, because the Bible is the handbook of God, and this is the way we are to live. So worship with integrity, and if you get stuck, just read his word. You'll find the words to say. Kingdom expectancy. Just have that anticipation wherever you go of meeting with God and experiencing the kingdom. We sing to the coming King. Come, Lord Jesus. And always have passion. Not merely mouth, but have passion. This is the most exciting thing in our lives to be in relationship with God. Passion. And then worship brings power. Power to heal, power to restore, power to forgive. People get pictures while they're worshiping. They get a word while they're worshiping. They get a vision while they're worshiping. I've met people who have gold dust on their books and Bibles and on their faces. Some people have heard angels singing while they worship. Because while you worship, bonds are broken and you can have breakthrough. Remember Jericho, mighty ancient city, one of the oldest cities in the world. Jericho's walls were 25 feet high and they were 24 feet thick. How could the army ever get in? What kind of brilliant strategy? Nothing could get in. And you might be feeling you don't know my situation. I have got the impossible situation. But God, we started by saying God could do the impossible, what happened to Jericho, and archaeologically it's proven. Something happened and those walls came down, but what was it? Worship. <laughs> God told Joshua, send out the priests, the priests, the priests, the worshipers, but not making music in silence to show the power of God. For six days they walked around and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's presence symbolized. And on the seventh day, they could take the horns, which is the shofar, which is used in relig religious ceremonies to worship. <laughs> and they blew and they shouted and the walls came down. <laughs> worship, there is power in worship. Worship is a weapon against the enemy. And worship is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. So now, no more talking from me. Enter in, and may this be a time of rich oneness of you with your Lord.